Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Friday, March 17th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people and using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that page and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again, absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on it, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It also contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they apply these tools in their life, actively applying the tools, and secondarily because It tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, please give us a call at 563-999-3581. Call that number and press 1 on your phone, and it will let you... Let me see that you have a question or comment. I'll turn on the microphone and I'll you by your area code. And when people do that, we are very grateful because it 
makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service, and that's a lot easier to do when people speak up. So how can we be of support today? What's on your mind? We have uh, we had a support group last night, and we listened to some Abraham Hicks. We have... Um, an interesting constellation of people in the group, the four people that were in the group, each of us have lost a primary family member within the past year, some of them quite quite a bit more recent than a year ago. And so we listened to some Abraham Hicks talking about, is there death and what happens at death and what is your true nature and does it truly change when the body drops, etc.? So I have gratitude for the people who attend those support groups. And if you are interested in that or you know someone who might be all the information needed to join us for either a Tuesday or a Thursday group is available at, y, at the uh, MindShiftersAcademy.org website. And um, there's a separate info page for the Tuesday and Thursday group. There's um, distinct login information that's different for each day. So, it's a Friday. The second hour today is going to be a recording, so we have some flexibility in terms of how long we go. If there's not something of, of interest, I've had um, a request from Susan to do a little reading and talk about something from the book A Walk in the Physical and um, the segment or the essay that she's referring to is titled Following Your Fears. And that that admonition, that advice, that guidance is um, something that we've run across years ago. I used to give people the, the assignment in therapy to read from Ursula K. Le Guin's book, and um and and one of the stories was about following your terror um, within the past few years we've read Jesus my autobiography and that book talked to my eye and ear very plainly about how our emotions are part of our guidance system and if our emotions are calm and loving and compassionate and gratitude filled we're probably headed in the right direction with our thoughts words and actions and if our emotions are anything negative we're definitely headed in the wrong direction so 
in this work with the Reality Management Worksheet, the impetus for me to ever pick up a worksheet is because I'm feeling something that I don't like. And so if I have a negative emotional state, the very best use of that in this work is for me to assume that it is an alarm system going off within me, within my mind-body energy system, to alert me to the fact that I'm in error in my internal thought process, that I'm interpreting life events the wrong way, that I'm creating this negative emotional experience inside myself within the context of an error in thought, my own thought. So in the book, A Walk in the Physical, the 34th essay on page 86 is titled, Following Your Fears. And the essay reads, Anytime we consider perceptions that are not in alignment with the fundamental truth, anytime that happens, we feel a negative emotional response. And this is almost exactly what we listened to last night in one of the segments of the Abraham Hicks teaching, where Abraham was saying to the person in the hot seat, Every time you don't like what you're seeing unfold in your life, every time you've got a tension or a negative emotion or an upset, it's because you're looking at what's unfolding in life differently than source energy is looking at it. If you get upset with another human being, Your mind is telling you you're upset because of them and what they're doing. And Abraham would say, the truth is, you're feeling the upset because you're choosing an interpretation and a response to that person that's different and less loving than the interpretation and the energy that source energy is sending to that person. And it's the clash between the deep truth of life and existence, which is love and this energy of creation, and the clash between that and the negative interpretation you're creating and pouring your mind energy into. So again, that first sentence in this essay reads, anytime we consider perceptions that are not in alignment with the fundamental truth, we feel a negative emotional response. That silence was for a little cough and throat clear. So anytime we consider perceptions and we create a perception that's not in alignment with the fundamental truth, we feel a negative emotional response. 
Thus, negative emotions can be used as a tool to locate what untrue perceptions we are holding on to. Again, this is at the core of the work we teach in the Mind Shifters support groups and with the Reality Management Worksheet. If I'm in pain, my thoughts are in error. Negative emotions can be used as a tool to locate what untrue perceptions I'm holding on to. And if I feel fear when I consider an idea or a belief, I should follow that fear. I should see if I can identify what negative self-perception or negative interpretation about reality itself may be existing in me as a result of the idea or belief I've chosen. The essay goes on. When we enter this world, we adopt the constraints that come along with being human. Chief among those constraints is a constraint on our knowledge. In other words, we no longer have access to the knowledge of the larger reality systems to which we already belong. We intrinsically belong. We can't be separated from these larger reality systems, but we lose our awareness of our connection to them. The essay goes on and says, this means that when we consider ideas as humans, we do so from a place of artificial ignorance. It's the state of not knowing permits us and even provokes us to consider possibilities that are frightening to us. And thus it gives us the opportunity to experience firsthand a new perspective that would otherwise be impossible for the all-knowing spirit. Sometimes that new perspective we're entertaining is one that is contrary to our true natures. And when that happens, we experience a negative emotional response. So we could literally use our negative emotions like a Geiger counter or a compass to help point the direction toward where there's an error in our thought or to point a direction toward where there's the absolute truth. And we know we're pointed towards and experiencing the absolute truth when we feel calm and centered and compassionate and loving. And we know we're pointed in the wrong direction. We're driving from error. Our perceptions are off when we have any negative emotion. The essay goes on and says, for instance, regarding one of your most prevalent fears, if you consider the idea, quote, what if there's no afterlife and I die for real, close quotes. And when you have that thought, you feel fear or resistance as a response, we're encouraging you to go find out why. Follow the sensations sufficiently and see if you can discover what negative self-perception or negative state about reality itself that that belief would mean. If you consider the possibility that no afterlife exists and you're simply destroyed at death, 
then the resulting self-perception you may be entertaining is one of powerlessness or non-existence. But, in fact, the spirit is never powerless, cannot not exist. You have always existed. This is one of the things that is at a core of the teaching with the Abraham stuff. We heard it again last night. Your essence, your consciousness was never born and will never die. It's always there. It's always connected to everyone and everything. All that happens is we create the dream of separation. We create a distorted perception of being powerless and disconnected. But in fact, the spirit is never disconnected. In fact, it always exists and it cannot ever die or not exist. Consciousness can only temporarily buy into those perceptions and experience the result, which is the constriction, the contraction, the fear, the negative emotional state. Consciousness actually cannot fundamentally ever be powerless or lifeless. The essay goes on and says, Nevertheless, in our example of the question, quote, what if there is no afterlife, close quote, it's likely that in fact, you don't actually know right now if there is an afterlife or not. Note that the state of not knowing itself does not cause discomfort. It is the resulting negative interpretation that we quietly entertain which triggers our fears. Our fears are meant to be explored no matter how deep they go. The sensations that come up with them cannot harm us. In fact, those negative sensations are valuable guideposts that lead us to discover the untrue perceptions that we've adopted during our human experience. Once we see them as untrue, we can dismantle them, drop them, release our attachment to them, etc., The essay goes on and says, Permit yourself then to actually welcome your negative emotions as the fear messengers that they are. Following where they may lead often requires great humility, great persistence, and great courage. And the pursuit is incredibly worthwhile. Find out what negative self-perceptions or negative perceptions about reality you are buying into. When you find those negative perceptions, spend time with them and with the resulting negative emotions they cause you to feel. Let them rant and and rave, hear them out in the now. Feel them. Rather than listening to the story you have spun around them over a lifetime, just allow your awareness to be with the sensations themselves, 
without the judgment. The light of your awareness is powerful. Its mere presence, backed by the power of your intent to actually experience your emotions for what they are and let go of your control, this process will naturally melt the illusions. The light of your awareness, backed by the power of your intention to actually experience your emotions for what they are, to see them as being generated by a false belief or perception, as you allow that to happen, it will naturally melt the illusion. With sufficient humility and bravery, it is possible to peek through the ego structures of our lives sufficiently until we see that, in fact, everything negative is an illusion. Only light and love are fundamental. Everything negative is an illusion. And with sufficient humility and bravery, it's possible for us to sit with, feel, observe, allow our emotions long enough that we peek through the ego structures that we've created in our lives and we see through them sufficiently to see that, in fact, everything negative is an illusion and only light and love are fundamental. So that's the essay. And, you know, earlier today I had a session with someone and we were talking about what's the ultimate defense against getting into or developing an abusive relationship pattern with somebody else. And the ultimate defense against that is the 100% responsibility for every emotional state I create. And in the middle of talking about that, I flashed on the quote from Guy Finley where he says, in in a very animated, intense way, he says, we must actively steal from ourselves every excuse to be negative, angry, bitter, hurtful, resentful, whatsoever, to ourselves or anybody else. We must actively steal from ourselves every excuse. We must refuse to rationalize and argue for our negativity. We must understand we are creating it and understand it in the context of a, of a reading like this, as an alarm system to let us know we are in error in our thoughts or perceptions or interpretations. The second part of the Guy Finley quote is that if we do not steal from ourselves, actively steal from ourselves, every rationalization about our negativity, we will be able to legitimize, to rationalize, to argue for, any level of abuse. So, the ultimate shield 
the ultimate guarantee against ever participating in or falling into or getting entwined in an abusive relationship pattern with somebody else is my ability to take 100% responsibility for every negative emotional state that I create. And use it as an alarm system. Use it to initiate a process of a timeout for myself, calming breath, EFT tapping if I like that, goal canceling with the reality management worksheet, all of which turns the focus inside me, which is the source of, the, of whatever I'm creating that's negative in terms of a reaction, and turn the focus toward the source inside me and begin to dismantle the negative beliefs, the false perceptions, the dream of separation, the blame, and then take another look with a breath and a calming breath. Then take a look at what's going on, quote, outside me, close quotes. So call in number 563-999-3581. What are your thoughts? How does that land for you? Is this making sense? Is it making a little bit of sense? Is it making deeper levels of sense? Susan, thank you for that suggestion. Well, thanks for reading it. Um, Did did we answer your questions? Well, (laughs) no, but that's not your fault. I mean, you're... You read it and you made comments and it was very good. I do have a lot of questions. One is, just because I am upset, why does this automatically mean I am in error? Is that your question? Why does it mean you're in error? Yeah. I. Yeah. I, you've been around this and I've been around this, but you're basically saying there's never any cause for upset ever. Outside of you. The causes yeah. are inside of you. Okay. All right. That's and, 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 and so here, you know, the, the very last line of this is the answer to your question, although you may not like it. But what they're talking about here is this ultimate truth that transcends the physical realities we have. And the answer is that, in fact, everything negative is an illusion. Only light and love are fundamentally true. And I wrote underneath that. I underlined it, underlined it put a star, and say, but we are to take this on faith. You know when people say, do you believe in God? Or do you believe in Jesus? Or do you believe in life after death? Or whatever. I remember, is it Mark Twain who said believing in something is like, I can't remember the quote and I can't put it, the wonderful, funny way he put it, is believing in something you know ain't true. Okay, but here's the point. Here's the point. You're not supposed to take it on faith. You're supposed to test it out. Watch what happens to your experience of life 
when you assume that every negative emotion you have is created by the people and things outside of you. And then watch what happens when you assume every negative emotion you have is created inside of you. That means you've got access to it and you can dismantle it or you can use it as a guidance system. Watch whether your life gets better or not following those two paths and choose for yourself. Right. That's all on the local level, and I totally get that, and I have a great example of that. I have a younger sister who had made some bad choices. You know, they're ultimately what she needed to do in her life, but basically she's been physically unwell because she kept cats all her life, even though she was allergic to cats. She missed a lot of work, got fired from jobs, went on disability because she had to have the cats spent a lot of time in the hospital, developed, and she lives alone because there's a lot of negativity. But anyway, yesterday we had a very interesting day, which was a demonstration of all of this. She, she's, It's hard for her to get out. She gets out of breath if she walks even a quarter of a block or maybe across the room. But she called me and she said, I need to pick up some papers at your house and I'm going to the grocery store so I can do that rather than save you the trip of coming to me. Do you need anything? And I said, yeah, I need this and that, tomato sauce and something. She's in the grocery store. She's having a terrible time finding all I needed is any bottle of tomato sauce and any can of, you know, collard greens. We had this long discussion about exactly what I, what she should get. So she gets it. And a lot of time passes. Most of the afternoon goes, and I finally call her, and she said, you won't believe this, but I'm in the emergency room. This has just been the worst day. And I said, what happened? She said, as I was checking out, I just collapsed. I couldn't breathe. My legs gave out. I was on the floor. So they packed up my stuff, which I had paid for, put it in some kind of storage, and I went, the ambulance came. Now I need you to wait for my call. I'm being checked out. I'm being hydrated and all this stuff. I don't know how long I'm going to be here, but I'll call you when I need picking up to go back to the grocery store and get my groceries. And so we wait hours. Then I go and pick her up. And so I I pick her up, take her to the grocery store, and her battery in her car has died. in the parking lot, which it does all the time, and she has this fantastic little jump starter machine. So we jump start, and then I have to sit in the car while she goes in the grocery store. She comes out of the grocery store. She's very angry because they didn't know where her stuff was. Nobody knew where it had been stored. A lot of time had passed. One bad thing after another I said, do you want me to sit beside you in the car? Well, the car, she, her car is full of stuff because she's a hoarder. And she just, she said, oh, well, I don't know what to do because you can't sit in here. There's no space. So I lifted up a box and put it on my lap. And she said, well, that was easy. It's like everything is so hard. And I see myself in her in a different way. So she's on her way home after we you know, separate. I go back into my car. She's feeling sick. She's feeling dizzy. I said, do you want me to come with you? No, I think I can drive home. So she drives home and on the way home, she gets into a car accident because she's so distracted with everything that she pressed 
the accelerator and bashed into somebody instead of pressing the brake. And it was just a fender bender. They were at a light. She calls me and she's waiting for the police. And it's like her thinking has been so dark. She's almost predicting trouble. And I'm thinking, let me take this as a lesson. I have a different life, but I'm doing the same thing. It's just that I do it in my own way with, thank goodness, less outward catastrophes. So I'm comparing all this. So, so what, is, what, what, is the, what is the same thing you're doing? When you say I'm doing the same thing, what do you mean? What thing that you're doing that's the same I as I think I'm catastrophizing. I think I, I tend to, I think every one of my fears boils down to a fear of no life after death and that when I die physically, my consciousness is snuffed out for all eternity and that's the end of it. That is my worst fear. And isn't every fear really about that or is it not? Oh, I don't think every fear is about that. I think we create our fears quite quite differently from one human to the next. And, you know, this thing would have you follow that fear and start to understand that is not what your fear is based on. Your fear is based on some negative consequence that you think is going to follow if that's true. So what's the the really negative, horrible thing that would happen if when you drop the body there's nothing else? Why is that bad? Well, there wouldn't be. It's neither good in, nor bad in, because in, I in, don't exist. But but in in your thought process, why is why are you making it a negative? Wouldn't anybody think that's a negative? No, I'm asking for you specifically to explore as this essay would ask you to how are you turning it into a uniquely negative thing in your mind i don't think it's uniquely negative but you're right on it though he's saying go right into it and you'll come out the other side i go right in and i stay stuck in there i haven't come out the other side I would love okay to so find maybe you should maybe you should turn it into a mind shifter and give yourself permission to explore it over not just the next day or two, but the next few weeks. Occasionally go and spend another half an hour or an hour responding to the mind shifter that it's safe and healing for me to realize that this life is all I have, and when I die, I'm gone and there's nothing else. Wow. That's it. Say that again. It's safe and healing for me to realize that this life is all I have, and... And when I die, when my body drops, there is nothing else. Okay. Am I the only person on the planet who finds this? You've got your finger absolutely on it. I'll do it. Because I don't believe it. There's going to be a lot of arguing about this. But I'll do it. I want to do because it. You, because, you, because you don't believe what? That it's safe and healing if that to, for that to be the truth? Or you don't believe that yeah, that's the truth? It's, it's safe and healing for me to believe that that's the truth. How is that safe and healing? There you go. I've already started it, you know. 
Yeah, and then you start just writing about all the horrors and all the negativity that your mind is conjuring up, which is the actual mental process that's creating your negative emotional states. Nothing else is creating your negative emotional states. But there are other people who are thoroughly... Pardon me? It's all what? It's all moot. It is all moot because if I no longer have consciousness, there's nothing there to have any feelings about. I won't know anything. I won't know I'm missing out on anything. I won't know that my people exist or what they're doing. I'm all I'm thinking about it from my thinking self now. But if I were actually dead, this would be irrelevant. There's no reason to do it. I'll right, do but it that's, anyway. But, but, that's, <laughs> but that's 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 one of the points of this is that our emotions don't exist anywhere but inside our own minds. And so they are only useful for us. So are we going to use them as torture or are we going to use them as part of a well-designed guidance system to help us create a more loving, joyful, respectful experience of life? I totally get it. And you're talking about our local lives. And I could choose all this and have a great local life but hovering around is that idea that this is great to have a great local life, but then I'm going to be gone for all eternity and won't know a thing forever and ever and ever. And why is that bad? You don't think it's bad? I'm asking you why you think it is. It seems like a terrible waste and a loss. And a bad deal. Okay. So that would all be part of what you write in your mind shifter. Okay. <laughs> it's a waste and a loss and a bad deal. <laughs> How dare the creator really... only give me 70 or 80 or 100 good years on this planet. I know. That's and I have <laughs> I know and I feel I have no right to fuss about that. What am I doing? And yet I am and so I'm right here at the edge of the most important <laughs> question in my life. And I appreciate that you're hanging in there because I'm not even sure I'm making any sense. Anyway. Uh, it's a waste and a loss and a bad deal. <laughs> right. And an insult. You know, it could go on. Ah, there's okay. a good one. But that, it's, it's an insult. How is it an insult? Well, you know, <clears throat> there was a there was a part in the Way of Mastery where we were reading and it was saying, oh, come on, Yeshua, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You've never lived a life. It's all just your dream in your head and you've never really paid attention to being in the present moment. Oh, but what about all my dramas and traumas? I went through this lifetime, and I went through this tr- difficulty, and I, and so you know, if I think I'm all that, then anything that wants to argue against my being all that, I'm going to take offense to. Anything I, that wants to argue I, with my I, beliefs about myself and my value is going to find me 
defending it, you know, fighting tooth and nail to defend my position that I'm so important. You mean to think if we thought we were less important, we wouldn't mind that we were going to be dead for all eternity? Is it because I think I'm so important? I think it's because it was a bait and switch. We were given this great life, great chance, and then we're not going to have it anymore. That seems like a switch. It's like a bad joke. There you go. There's more of your yep. there's more of your mind shifter. <laughs> yeah. I've been hoodwinked. Well, <laughs> I've been scammed by the creator. That's it. I'm not having that's it. What it feels I'm like. Not having it. <laughs> you you seem to have a handle on this, but boy, oh boy. Anyway, okay. What do you mean when you say I seem to have a handle on it? You don't seem to mind being dead for all. (laughs) 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 My sister once said to me, I'm so mad at you that I'm going to kill you and you'll be dead for the rest of your life. That's what she said. And I, I never forgot that. I thought it was brilliant. That's what it feels like, that I'm going to be dead for the rest of my life, as if we don't have a concept about eternal annihilation. We don't have a clue about it. We have no well, we have, way we of have, comprehending it. We, we have concepts about it, and we use them to generate upset. Yeah, that's hell. That's what hell is. Well, no, hell is supposed to be the the active experience for all eternity of the pain and suffering. Yeah, that's true. Not the end of all suffering and oblivion. I guess thinking about oblivion is hell. Well, I'm going to have to go back and listen to that and find out why I thought that was so funny when you said you don't mind being dead for all of oblivion or, or for a lifetime. Well, I don't know whatever you said, but it just struck my funny bone pretty good there. Well, he says in his article, bottom of page 86, if you consider the possibility that no afterlife exists and you are simply destroyed at death, then the resulting self perception you may be entertaining is one of powerlessness or non-existence. And I underlined it and said, well, duh. I mean, what's he saying? He's saying, yeah, of course. I wonder why he said that. And yet I appreciate that he is putting all of this into He says it because his position, his experience, his pre-life experience the great spiritual teachings that resonate with him say you can't ever be powerless and you can't ever not exist. That's why he says that. Yeah, and I love that idea. I love that idea, but I want proof. How do you get proof? You die. You drop the body. That's how you get proof. 
you meditate, yeah, and then you're gone for and, all and, and you and you ask to be shown, and and you tap into a a near death experience type thing, or or you 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 tap into this deeper knowing that some people have when they get visited by their guides or masters. There are various ways that people recommend doing it. Mm-hmm. I, I the understand proof has that. To come, the proof has to come from inside you. And what you're, you know, traditionally what you've done, Susan Bingham, is what most of us do then trained in the Western world, is we look outside of us for the proof. But the only proof that's going to be actual proof is going to come from inside you. From your I've own had, deep internal knowing. Well, I, I've had experiences where I felt that. I felt it. And I could say from within that experience that life would go on forever. But then I thought, that's just my mind giving me an ice cream cone. That's my mind giving me something I really, really want. And I'm not going to believe it until something else convinces me. Is that just pure stubbornness? Or is it well, really it's, going it's, into it? No, I don't think it's going into it. I think it is because part of what you said was you had an experience. And then mm-hmm. you tried to refute the experience with your thought. And that's what we're talking about in these teachings is that when my thoughts leave me with anything negative, I know they're in error. When my direct experience leaves me with that calm, loving, satiated, content, blissful, that's the truth of my life and our and our lives and of creation itself. And when we start to add thought to it, that's David Bohm's sustained incoherence, right? There's this flaw in, in yeah. thinking that's inherent in the process of thought itself, which is going to have us refute our direct experiences and leave us in conflict and suffering. And so that's why so many of our teachings, including the Reality Management Worksheet, etc., have us cancel all those things we think mm-hmm. and we want and ask to be shown something else from a different part of our awareness, of our beingness, of our consciousness. You know, I took the personal code evaluation in at the end of, you know, during one of Michael's retreats. And then I took it again fairly recently. And one of my biggest things to work on is the fact that I'm gullible. And I thought, well, there you go. Somebody's telling me that there's life after death. If I say, oh, good, I'm glad to hear that. Aren't I being gullible? One of the things is I want to be totally honest. I want to face all the stuff. I want the real McCoy, or I don't. I don't know what to do else. <clears throat> all this business of muscle testing and stuff. Part of me just wants to say, "Oh, how interesting! I believe that I'm going to do it." Or constellations, or everything. Part of me says that's bullshit. And part of me says, I want to believe it. Maybe it's because I'm a Gemini and I'm twins, and part of me is just going to fight everything good. Okay. 
<laughs> that was a Tim Hayes ism. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. Right. I get it. What can you say if I'm going to do that? I get it. If you're okay. going to do that, you're going to do that. And you yeah. have one of the things that we observe over and over again is you have the free will to choose to do that. That's one of the things that is all over the Course in Miracles and the Way of Mastery is choice, choice, choosing. You only experience yes. what you've chosen to experience in life, and you're free to choose again. Diedrich Wolzak found choose again so often in Course in Miracles, he chose it for his website name, choose again. Mm-hmm. You generate an experience you don't like, choose again because your experience is coming from the choices you're making your choice of how to interpret and respond to the flow of life events and nothing else the last sentence she says last clause everything negative is an illusion only light and love are fundamental. Boy, I want to believe that. Something in me just says, well, show me then. How do we know? We can, can we talk ourselves out of fear? And does that change reality? What's wait, reality? Wait, wait, here's a better question. Here, here's a okay. better observation to make. Instead of can I talk myself out of fear, let me observe how I've talked myself into fear when none need be there. Well, that, yeah. Yep, I do that a lot, but I also think maybe I'm being honest when I do that. So <clears throat> I'm not being gullible. Now, why the heck would that evaluation saying, uh, say I'm gullible? It's like reinforcing all the bad things that I already do. Well, I think that evaluation was out to get you from the beginning. <laughs> and I, I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. I said I think that evaluation was out to get you from the beginning. <laughs> that, that evaluation that nice. never liked you. Never liked you. No. <laughs> yeah, I wondered about that. Well, listen, no, I, I get why it. would that evaluate, when you say it that way, why would that evaluation say that? How does that evaluation say anything? It asks you to respond. The evaluation doesn't say anything. It just holds up the mirror to the responses you make. It's not yeah. the evaluation saying anything. Well, no, I understand that. <clears throat> But if I'm gullible, if that's what they see and that's what what I'm doing, I'm being extra vigilant here concerning this issue. But you're right. There's something going on. I'll do the – I mean, now we're just spinning. I'll do that mind shifter, and then I'll be able to say something because all I'm going to do is keep my dukes up and fight this. Okay. Okay, here's someone with a hand up, 760. Is this Anne? Hi, 
Yes. Uh, oh, Susan, you're such a charm. <laughs> um, oh, well, I was man. laughing with Dr. Tim, just so you know. He wasn't the only one laughing. And I think my trigger was, and I don't know what you'll find, Dr. Tim, when you re-listen to it, but I think my trigger, other than hearing you laugh, but that she had this tone of voice that was kind of humorous in her tone. I think that's why I got triggered by joining with you and laughing so much. But um, after I calmed down from the laughter, I remember her saying um, that her sister had made that comment to her. So, Susan, I'm wondering if you ever did a wake-up sheet on the fear that that generated of the comment that your sister made, you know, that she would kill you because, and then you'd be dead and then, you know. For the rest of your life. That went. <laughs> yeah, for the rest of your life. So if you did a wake-up sheet on that, I mean, here's somebody outside of you was making this comment and you bought it. Anyway, that's my No, question. I didn't buy it. I thought it was the funniest thing. Because, oh, you know, well. Call... <laughs> I'll be dead for the rest well, of my life. That's where the humor is. That, I thought that was the funniest thing. It showed, her that, showed me that she had no concept of what is my worst fear. That dead for the rest of my life, well, then I wouldn't be. But, you know, she didn't have a concept of total annihilation for all eternity. She just said, you'll be dead for the rest of your life because your life, you'll still be alive. I loved it, and I thought it was the funniest thing. She was just a little kid. She was like seven years old. Ah, so that humorous thing, though, but that's exactly what you're saying. You're believing it. No, not, (laughs) no, she's saying I'm going to be alive for for all eternity. She didn't have a concept of not having consciousness. She was affirming that she couldn't even get her mind around what it might mean to be dead. You're dead for the okay, rest of your life. It was a seven year old yeah. because it was a seven year old Okay. Yeah. But I you're finding it, it really humorous. Okay. But no, so now said that. So now it's humorous so you could put that on your mind shifter. <laughs> well, I don't think it belongs um, here. I think my mind has gone somewhere else. Maybe I'll keep it in mind but <laughs> it just showed me that she had no concept of oblivion for all eternity. And I, at age nine or whatever, I'm two years older than she is, I must have thought, she doesn't have a clue of what I'm most afraid of, be any life after we die. I'd be dead, dead. So you must have had a concept of it then. Concept of which? <laughs> Eternal life, consciousness for all eternity. Yeah. Because well, I have you a said she didn't have it. a concept of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, she didn't even have a concept of it. I have a concept of it, but I don't think it's true. But that's the mind shift. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, I, I, I will be interested to sense at the end of your mind shift. <laughs> it's going to be a long one. Like my life work. <laughs> then, 
pretty much I'm sending love and light, Susan. Love and light. Thank you. Thank you, Anne. That's where if there's anything redeeming, it's the love that's around. I love that. I just don't want it to end yeah. when I drop my body. And that's I'll put that on the mind shifter too. <clears throat> yes, yes. There you go. All right. Thank you, Doctor Tim. You're very welcome and deserving. Thank you for the call and chiming in. As I mentioned earlier, our second hour is going to be a recording titled Perception, Thoughts, Feelings, Emotions. So I will mute you both and let you choose to listen in or not. Thank you both for your comments and questions. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. This is your second hour. You're not familiar with our show? You can go to our website, which is www.whyagain.org, and there is a ton of information out there. There's audios, videos. There's downloads of the book in uh, about eight different languages. The commitment, the worksheets, everything is out there for free download. And then the radio show is here to support you. If you start doing worksheets or looking at the work and you have questions, something you don't understand, then call into the show and press 1 and ask your question because I guarantee if you have a question, it's also someone else's question too. And uh, so, Michael, are you back yet? Apparently not. I I am am going to assume. Oh, there you are. (laughs) Welcome. I am. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. We're honored that you're with us today and uh, ready to uh, step into the next level of awakening from the sleep of the non-being mind. And in this work, we're, we're uh, looking at two different states of expression that are possible for us as humans. One of those states is a true human life. And we define a true human life experientially. And the experience that will give you a taste of what human life is, is holding the newborn child. When you hold that newborn, you get the experience of what we are designed to live as. And then there's the state of non-being which is really a state of hypnosis. You know, in the ancient teachings, the master said, transcend. They were saying, put an end to the state of trance. Get out of hypnosis and wake up to who you are. And when you wake up to who you are, you will flood your physiology with neuropeptides based in love. And that will awaken a whole different state of being from the average person today. The state of hypnosis that we can be put into is pretty awesome when you realize it. I was speaking to someone yesterday and and, uh, suggested that uh, we might go in and uh, present at a military base they were working at. And the response was, oh, no, they wouldn't let you on there. They won't let anyone touch the emotions of these men and women because they represent such a deep investment in a particular state of mind that they won't even allow 
me as a psychologist to tinker with their state of mind. And it's, it's just interesting to see how deeply hypnotized people can become so that the, ins, the profane becomes normal and the insane seems like a rational way to function. We see that on the national stage today as people are, you know, making the most bizarre pronouncements as though this is what leadership of the world looks like. And it's just really crazy. We didn't get to hear from Dr. Tim yesterday, but Tim, I did finally get to watch that uh, video that you shared about uh, from the TED Talk where this gentleman's talking about people living in their hallucinations. And I was particularly, in a, you know, if you're there, I, I don't know for sure, but we'll find out in a minute. But I was particularly interested in the experiment that they did, and they show this experiment where they have a person sitting in a chair and they have them with their right hand on a table and they have the left hand on the table but hidden from view by a little wall. So this person can't see their own left hand. And then they put a fake hand on the table and the person in front of them is sitting in front of them and stroking their real hand and the fake hand. So the hand that's hidden in view is being stroked by the experimenter. That's just being touched, just being brushed. And the fake hand is being brushed at the same time. And then someone comes up with a knife to stab the fake hand. And the person in the experiment is so convinced that the fake hand is their hand, even though they're sitting there knowing that their own hand is there out of view, that they instantly draw their real hand away from the knife as though they're drawing as though the fake hand were their hand. I, I mean, it was just a, a really interesting portrayal to me of the depth of hypnosis that one can be put into. Now, they don't tell us exactly how long that stroking took place from the experiment. It looked like it wasn't more than just a, you know, a few seconds. It may, have, it may have been a longer time that wasn't shown in the video, but whatever the time frame was, to get to the point of, like, I know this is a fake hand. I know my hand is over there on the other side of this wall where I can't see it. And yet I withdraw my hand because someone's stabbing the fake hand. I withdraw my real hand that the mind has been convinced that this hand that's being stabbed is their own. And, and to me, the, the implications of that are so profound for our culture and our world that when people are told something over and over and over and over and over again, that their minds produce perceptions as though those perceptions were of actuality and true. You know, I said that Hitler's head uh, uh, propagandist said, if you make the lie big enough and you tell it often enough, 
No one will question it. Everybody will believe it. And it was just, uh, I mean, to me, that experiment was one of the most profound parts. Of course, it was nice to hear this, this uh, you know, neurobiologist who's affirming everything we've been teaching for decades and saying, yeah, hey, our labs are starting to prove that Yasha was right. Uh, that was pretty cool. Of course, he didn't say those words, but in essence, that's what he's doing. So, uh, so Dr. Kim, any, any thoughts? I, of course, yesterday we didn't get to chat with you, and I think you maybe had some thoughts to share with us, but you were tied up and then we never got back to you. Uh, any thoughts for us and uh, any discussion on that particular, how that particular part of that video impacted you? Well, I think, you know, the, the whole video is just lovely because there's it is two different Wait, Are you there? I am, yes. All right. There's two different ways he's discussing how we create our perception. One is our perception of the outside world and events, and the other is we create a perception of ourselves and all of the relative sense of experience, of being, of belonging, of acting in the world. And so, you know, the first part he's talking about how our perception of the outside world is absolutely just best guesses because the brain doesn't receive any light. The brain doesn't receive any sound. The brain doesn't receive any physical touch. All the brain receives is stimulation through these neural chemical pathways. And when it receives that stimulation, it has to make its best guess about what that stimulation means, where it's located, how it feels, etc. And so he says in the first part of the talk that the stimulation coming in through our senses is not as important as the beliefs and the best guess approximations we make about that in terms of creating our perception. And then, of course, he takes it to the next level and says, even our belief about who we are, where our body is, where it starts, where it ends, whether it's safe, is all guesses created by guessing about stimulation. And he said, in, in terms of creating my sense of self, the internal perceptions, that's all regulated by trying to maintain homeostasis and safety. And that's why this person is so easily deceived in the fake hand experiment because, it, you know, it's this sense, my, my sense of my internal organs isn't that I know exactly where my heart is and what it's doing and where my liver is and what it's doing. I only become aware of my heart or my liver if I go into a deep meditation or if there's a problem there that's causing discomfort. And so my awareness of myself is about maintaining homeostasis and safety. And so when I see somebody stabbing something that's getting the same kind of stimulation that my hand is getting, even though they're not stabbing at my hand and I can't see my hand, I jerk back in a protective manner 
because all of my sense of self, as they're studying it, is derived from that homeostasis and trying to maintain safety and security. And, of course, what I like to tell people is we have simply adopted, not adapted, not adjusted, not mediated, but simply taken the template that we use for survival in the wild and physical hurts and aches and pains and just laid it completely over the emotional realm where it's not relevant. And we haven't done any adjustment. And so this is why when I start to feel anger or fear or sadness at an intense level, I might, if I haven't been trained into the fact that I'm the one creating that sensation, I might easily be misled to think something on the outside is causing it and literally be willing to go to war or literally attack somebody physically to try and end my internal pain because it was all derived from this internal sense of homeostasis and safety. So it makes really good sense about why we have people who aren't aware of the true nature of the origins of their pain and how they've misperceived it as a physical threat when simply it's a little bit of irritation or a little bit of sadness or a little bit of depression or a little bit of anger. And if it's been mis misperceived as a safety issue, why they would escalate all the way to physical violence. So that's my offering on that part. Yeah, it's, it's so powerful. Say again, Tim. And why I think it's so important that you're doing what you're doing and trying to help people understand how it all works and that they, they, they're not being threatened from the outside. Their pain is not being caused from the outside. Right. And that by not resolving their pain, they can actually set up the energetic dynamics by stress spraying the energy of their pain out on people, they can actually set up the result that they're so afraid of, that they actually create that result. They, they do behaviors unconsciously. They move in the direction of whatever it takes to produce that result that they've been hypnotized into believing is inevitable. And then it becomes self-fulfilling prophecy because it becomes inevitable by their own behaviors and their actions and the energies that they're radiating out into the world. So it's so important to recognize that forgiveness is going inside of oneself and removing what never belonged. There's some other uh, research that I've been looking at, and uh, there's a little critter that's called a prairie vole. And it's kind of like a, I guess it's a small mole-type creature. And this prairie mole is a, a, a creature that once it mates, it mates for life with the vole that it mates with. And what they're finding is that there's a neurotransmitter. We've been talking more and more about how neurotransmitters or informational molecules are simply reflections of compressed thoughts. And so this vole mates, and they find that once it mates, there's an increase in oxytocin, and that that oxytocin, they, they're suspecting or they're starting to prove 
is the thing that causes them to mate for life, and, and it is a um, something that creates that kind of connection that keeps these two little creatures together for life, and actually has them, you know, cooperatively building a nest and raising young and protecting each other. You know, all sorts of interesting behaviors go along with it. And there's another creature very close in uh, in relationship called a prairie vole. And the prairie vole doesn't do that same behavior. The prairie vole does not mate for life. If it gets an opportunity to mate, you know, male finds a female, it mates. It mates, it mates, it mates, it mates. But interestingly enough, what they found is if they allow, and, and apparently these, the two voles, these two little creatures, have to be in each other's space for a certain period of time. It appears to be something like about six hours. And if they're in each other's space for six hours, and then they put an injection of oxytocin in the male, and they mate, then this prairie vole, which does, never mates for life, all of a sudden, mates for life. So, you know, you wonder what's, what's contained in that informational molecule that makes a connection that says, I am now true to this relationship with this female as opposed to I have no integrity in my relationships. And, you know, just the implications that that has. And these states of hypnosis, you know, oftentimes people say, well, you know, a, a young man grows into maturity and the hormones start to rage. And, and what are hormones? Hormones are just thoughts. They're just compressed. You know, if you go to the opening words in the book of John where we're told it says, in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh, it doesn't say that. It says in the beginning was the mind energy and the mind energy became flesh. So these hormones are simply compressed thoughts. And if one is repeatedly assaulted, and I use that word fairly consciously in this particular context, if a young man is repeatedly assaulted by a culture that says his job is to go out and mate with as many females as he can, not his job is to create relationship and a life based in love and a home and take care of children, then that neuropeptide they call hormone starts to rage and, you know, results happen. And once again, it takes us back to, to me, to the importance of forgiveness because it is through forgiveness that we go inside ourselves at depth and create an increasingly um, intense ability or skill set of being able to go within ourselves and remove those things, those neuropeptides, those unconscious genetic thoughts tend to run our lives. You know, if generation after generation after generation of, of humans was, you know, promiscuous and then, then there are neuropeptides, there are information molecules that tend to be passed, the energetic dynamics of that is passed on through the genes. And then when something resonates, those genes my take is that the activity, uh, and I don't know what the scientists out of the laboratory would say about it, but the activity, the, the frequency of that gene coming into action 
is going to cause the proteins within our structure to assemble themselves in a certain way according to the pattern of the thoughts resonated out of the genes and we're going to have the the expression of a neuropeptide for either being true in relationship and having integrity and monogamy in relationship or doing something different. And that many people are are driven or most of us are driven by whatever happens to be moving us and whatever our heritage happens to be. If it moves, it runs us. And if it runs us and it's not like love, then we don't get to live out the truth of who we are, sourcing our thoughts, sourcing our lives from choice, from this presence of love that we are designed to be, and having thoughts that support that and bring that into expression so that we can create a culture, create a family system, create a community, create a way of thinking that is true to the truth of who we are as love and the natural behaviors that come along out of that expression of love. And so, you know, it's, to me, it's like it's just building a bigger and bigger and bigger picture. And, uh, and listening to that gentleman's presentation uh, was, was a, really quite a, a delightful uh, piece in the puzzle to, uh, to hear that affirmation. And the more and more we learn about it, the more the ancient teachings from the first century Aramaic Yeshua become so clearly visible and so deeply genius in their roots that if we uncover them and learn to use the tools that come with those teachings, that life becomes more fulfilling, more alive, more joyous. I ran into someone the other day here in um, in uh, Asheville, where we're uh, doing our workshops. By the way, if anybody is in the Asheville area, come join us tonight, tomorrow night, for two more free workshops in our series of five. And then, of course, Saturday we'll be doing Mind Shifters and Still Point Breathing. But uh, this was a person who had done some of my work 25 years ago in uh, in South Florida. And when I got into a conversation, this is someone that had come to some of my workshops way back when, and I never heard from them again. And here we reconnect 25 years later. And, uh, and this person said, you know, you don't know this about our meeting, but your work back 25 years ago saved my life. Now, I didn't ask, and it wasn't volunteered exactly what was happening, but it was a person who picked up the tools and put them to use and literally recognized that they changed the inclinations, the thought inclinations within them that at least according to their assessment of their lives at that time would have led to their death. And here they are now later, you know, 25 years later, thriving and, and enjoying life. So it's, uh, it's interesting when people run into the tools and, and you just never know. And that's one of the reasons why we keep suggesting start a support group, share the tools with somebody. You know, even, even the briefest exposure to the core of the forgiveness process can have such profound influences on someone's life. And, and here's what I know when it has that profound an influence on someone's life, 
it's stored in their genes and it becomes available to their whole bloodline. To me, that's the importance of the work that we're doing and why we're committed to making sure that it gets into the hands of every heart, mind, and being on the planet. So any other thoughts in that direction for you, Tim? Well, my thoughts are about how in my own work recently, I was talking on the show on Monday, and then we talked a little bit about it on Tuesday, that I had been listening to the old archives and in, in 2011, when the show first began, I shared some series of worksheets I'd done. And one of the things that happened when I listened to it again six and a half years later is I got some new insights. And so we were talking about my dad and the power person dynamic and how when certain kinds of stress would come up for him, he would leave in one way or another. He would have a drink or he would go into the den to work or he would go to work. And so as I was listening to that series of shows over the weekend, I got another level of insight about his power person dynamic and the leaving. And the piece that was new to me, it wasn't new news, but I integrated it differently, was all of a sudden it popped into my head, oh my gosh, here's another way that his power person dynamic got started, because when my father was nine years old, his father died of a heart attack. So his father's stress level went up, and his father did the ultimate leaving. He died. So that's how I come by this honestly through the bloodline just it's what happens my power person had a power person who had a power person etc so I got that insight and it was integrating with me and then I realized I had a present day dynamic going on where somebody wanted to engage with me and instead of just saying no, I said, well, I'll think about it. And as I thought about it more and more, I realized I had an emotional hang-up about this. So I wasn't pulling the trigger to say, yes, okay, I'll move forward, and I wasn't saying, no, I'm done. So I started doing my own work on this. And yesterday morning after some worksheets on Tuesday and reaching a different level of clarity, I had my friend do this energy work with me with his, it's very parallel to the mind shifter, I'm sorry, the um, reality management wake-up sheet process where I put aside all the logical stuff and just ask to be shown the hidden part of my mind that's creating this blockage or this upset. And... What I saw in, in when I'm asking to be shown was myself dealing with my father when I was four years old and that the difficulty my father had in dealing with loss and grief and abandonment that he came by naturally 
was part of what was resonating with me in the real world today as a 63-year-old thinking about dealing with somebody in a business deal because that person has had horrible grief loss in, in recent times and that energy is all over. That energy is, is, triggers me and my issues with being unable to fix and heal my father from four years old and on and that level of insight left this clean and open space for me to start dealing with this adult today in a completely different fashion. And oh. understanding that as I move forward, I may get triggered, but now I know it, it's not about the interactions between me and this other adult. It's about my sensitivity to dealing with people who have unresolved grief issues and my own unresolved grief issues as a result of that. So for me, there's the benefit of putting my work out there to get other perspectives and opinions. There's the benefit of working in the support group. There's the benefit of having the radio show for input. And there's the benefit of reviewing the patterns that I've been through and understanding that if I was dealing with a pattern of an issue five years ago, it's very likely to raise its head again, and it's okay. It's just me getting it at a different level or a different flavor or a different variety, and I welcome the chance to resolve it at another level. So that's my offering. Fabulous. And, of course, the the beauty of doing each of those levels of work is each time you become more empowered to be the space for the healing of that kind of pain and grief. It's, it's part of the process of, of being able to hold to that act of love that, uh, that resolves those dynamics for yourself and for others. So it's a, it's a powerful way. You know, doing one's own work is a powerful way to be empowered to heal, as we talk about in our Empowered to Heal workshop. Well, we do have a caller. All right. I'll tell you what. Just well, yeah. Let's go ahead. Let's take our caller, Jean. Area code three three six. You're on the air. Is this Tracy? Yes, it is. Hi, y'all. Hey, welcome, young lady. Good to hear your voice. Thanks. Good to hear y'all. I was on yesterday, and Jeannie was talking about that movie Inside Out. And she was explaining about words and emotions and thoughts. And then you had a distinction that you added and you explained it. And I was wondering if you could explain it again, the difference. <clears throat> I wasn't clear. Using like an example from, let's say, like I'm irritated because I'm supposed to be on a call and my mom showed up unannounced or, you know, some situation that would be like a real worksheet and apply what you were explaining to like a real-life situation. Or I, w I also had the thought when Dr. Tim was talking, I also couldn't fix or save my father. And so that's a lot of worksheets that I've done, um, but that issue is still there. So that could be another one you could use, or you could just make one up. But I was wondering if you could take that explanation and put it into a, a real situation because I kind of got lost in the, 
the wording of the intellectual aspect of it versus how you actually apply it in real life. Well, the uh, the first thought that comes is that you might uh, want to watch the movie Saving Mr. Banks. Okay. If you haven't seen it yet, or if it's been a while since you've seen it, it's very powerful. It's a true story of um, Walt Disney and what he went through with the author of um, the uh, the mov- or the book, um, Mary Poppins, and what it took for him to make that movie. And it was all about you know saving Mr. Banks, which is the author's father. And it's a powerful, uh, powerful place to open and process those emotions. And at this moment, I'm not quite sure. So if you could give me some more details about exactly what you're referring to that happened yesterday. That can, you could be more specific. Can I jump in there on that? With. Oh, please. Yeah, please, Jeannie, please, maybe you can help because I, I really Take struggled to articulate it. I was trying to tell Julie. <laughs> And I couldn't even that, say it very well. <laughs> She's like, call in okay. and ask Michael and Julie. I mean, Jeannie. <laughs> so I will uh, say what I hear, <laughs> and then Michael can clarify if I'm if I'm off of it again. Uh, what the gentleman was saying about the inside out was he was talking about how the emotions organize um, the thinking, and and use the example of like sadness. You know that. Um, when sadness would touch one of the memory balls, it would change the way that Riley processed, you know, what was going on in her life. And the refinement that Michael made was it was the thought behind the emotion. And so, for instance, the example that you're giving of that you were supposed to be uh, talking to someone and your mom came in, was that what it was? Right. Okay, so if it were just emotions that changed the way you saw your world, then maybe it, you would say, well, my agitation came up or my frustration came up, and then that changed how I saw the whole situation with my mom. When okay. really then what Michael was saying, it's the thought behind that frustration or that irritation. So it would be, you know, mom's timing is off or, you know, I wish she would be more considerate, you know, when she comes in and I'm on a call or something like that. So it's the thought behind the emotion. The emotion is triggered by that thought. And so it's really the thought that organizes our thinking and the way that we see the world, not the emotion. So he just did that little refinement that they were the flip side of the same coin, but that you can't just try to address the emotion itself. You have to address the thought that's behind the emotion. Am I right on that, Michael? You're right on track. And the, um, the, this points to, for me, the reason why, you, you want to be as precise and specific as possible in the goal that you use when you're doing a worksheet, a wake-up sheet. So in this, in this specific example that, that uh, you and Jeannie have just, or, uh, uh, yeah, you and Jeannie have just been talking about. So there could be a hundred different thoughts behind the emotion of whatever the upset or the irritation was. It might be, and, and each one would have a, each thought would have a different goal. So the irritation, uh, a piece of mind energy, goes into the structure, turns into a neuropeptide, strikes a cell, and when it strikes a cell, it informs the cell the quality of the thought. So if the 
feeling is that of irritation, then what what that feeling is telling you is that this thought, when you put it into your cellular structure, is an irritant to the cell and creates a diseased condition. And the thought might be, you know, why doesn't my mother ever honor me? I.e., you know, she just walks in my house anytime and doesn't inform me she's coming. So that might be the thought that you'd be doing the worksheet on. And so the goal would be, I want mom to honor me. The thought might be, you know, my mom's always interrupting my life. And that might create this a similar feeling, but a whole different worksheet because the goal involved there would be, I want my mother to, you know, treat me with integrity and mm-hmm. support me. It might right. be, you know, that irritation might be, mom's always interrupting me. You know, right from when I was a child, I wanted to, I was in the middle of doing something, wanted to do something, and mom would just step right in and yank me out of the space. And what I wanted mom to do was to honor my choices. So that might be the goal that we work with. So, so the importance of really, and, and this is the skill set we're inviting people to do, is as opposed to denying and dissociating from this content, which most have done, you know, most of our generations previously, at least as far as we can tell, or I can tell, pretty much have kept that stuff in abeyance, have kept it in the dissociated mind. So learning to decode each of those thoughts so that we can tap into what's the goal that will bring the most powerful forgiveness result in this situation and what you put in that blank in number three is key and decoding the thought behind the neuropeptide so you know the and and in if you look at the movie in inside out all this sadness that's taken over um joy's life in the movie is resolved when she can tell the truth about her sadness, when she can speak the thought in the presence of love that her sadness was all about. And, you know, it's a, it's a really fine point in the movie, but if you remember, you know, she, she goes to her parents and she's in tears and she's like, you know, I had the goal. Mom actually framed the goal for her and she said it earlier in the movie, you know, dad's busy. So we're going to be dad's perfect little girl and we're not going to interrupt daddy's need to work. And so she feels dissed and that feeling of dissed is, and it looks like in the movie, it's like I'm not important and I'm not allowed to tell the truth about what I'm feeling or thinking. And the resolution comes when she's able to go to her parents and of course they're holding the space of love and she's able to tell the truth about the thoughts that created her sadness. I miss my home. I miss my friends. I miss being able to play hockey and she's safe enough to do that instead of having to fulfill the goal that mom framed for her of being the perfect little girl that doesn't interrupt dad's day, doesn't interfere with his life. Right. That all fit and kind of give you the refinement you're looking for. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And it, I was, you know, the thought I had when Jeannie was explaining it was the first thought I had was, does every thought have a goal attached to it? And then that's exactly what you said. Your next sentence was, yeah, and every thought has a goal. And that's where I was getting, 
you know, if I look at the agitation emotion, okay, so I'm agitated, that had a gob of thoughts. And I'm thinking, okay, well, there's a lot of goals underneath my agitation. So I was, you know, and and you hit a lot of them. I want my mom to respect me. I want her to have integrity. I want her to call first and ask if she can come over. I, You know, I want to be honored. So all of those were in that whole thought train, like, a, a you know, um, a lot of things firing off at the same time. So that exactly. really gets it clear to me. It's If every one of those has a neuropeptide, I really want to have all of those be transformed. You know, cancel that goal, get back to I honor my mother, I love my mother, I'm, I am the space of love in her presence. And, you know, yes. there's nothing missing, nothing wrong. It's just timing and making requests and not having or having, instead of not having, having that peace that, you know, I'm in line with my divine source. I'm not, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's no conflict here except for what my brain is firing off these little uh, challenges that I have. So that's, that helps me kind of put it on the court, so to speak, and, and hear it in... Yes what's going on language, it always just helps me so much to have that language, like, okay, here's what's going on, and this is how you break it apart, because it gets me back to the goal, and gets me present to any time I have fear, anger, pain, I'm the one. It's not happening over there, it's happening over here. Exactly, Um, it's driving my mind, and I like that... uh, precise psychological language that used of that gob of thoughts that that's really you know right on track and and it and it, that really explains why Yeshua said now around this issue you're probably going to do 77 times 70 worksheets because there's a whole you know accumulation of mind energy that comes from you know maybe a thousand experiences we've had with mom or authority figures and that there were a thousand experiences in my genes that mom had with her mom and authority figures and her mom had with, and all of those energetic dynamics contribute to the end result of what I call my perceptual construct or the world I see that I think is out there that's really in here and the necessity to collapse it in order to bring present love and to live out of that present love well, those energetic dynamics that I've still not yet resolved move in me, and, and it's desirable to have them move because that's the only way we get to resolve them. Right. Well, and I have to say that I've had a miracle, you know, with my mother. I mean, I, the, through this work, it's so different. I mean, I just, I mean, I, it, how it used to be, you know, they say in AA, here's how it used to be, um, Here's what happened, and here's how it is now. So they're they're looking at saying, okay, before the 12 steps, I was a drunk and a blah, 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 blah. And after the 12 steps, I have, you know, or here's what happened. I, you know, I lost my house, my car, my wife, and now here's where I am after having done the steps. And so it's like that's how I feel about this work. It's like here's how my relationship with my mother, how it was, um, constant conflict, constant irritation, kind of a train wreck, if you will, uh, cancel universe, we don't want any of those, but like that. And then um, what happened is I came to Heartland and I've been doing this work and 
she's like a completely different person. Isn't that interesting how she changed? <laughs> yes. It is interesting how they change when uh, when we and, – and, and one of the things to recognize in that context is that everything that moves in us, every – informational molecule that moves in us, let's say that, that when it strikes the cell, creates frustration or irritation, literally as it's moving in us, that field moving sets up an energy wave that sprays on them. And when yeah. it sprays on them, it tends to reinforce the whole behavior pattern that set the thing up in the first place. And when we can become the one that interrupts the pattern inside of us, and in that situation that yesterday, literally because there had been irritation moving in me, I spare irritation on this person who then, of course, responds to that irritation with some of their own. When I can forgive, remove that irritation, and make the choice to bring in the presence of love, then literally when love is moving in me, I'm spraying active love on them. And they're going to be different. And mm-hmm. also... My perceptual construct, if it's coming out of brain cells filled with irritation, I'm going to have a certain perceptual construct that is going to be the filter through which I see them. And when I shift that content, I'm literally generating a whole different world that I see and overlay on them. And so as those, both, both of those things shift and change, Everything changes, and that's the beauty and the the, uh, the gift of this genius mind of Yeshua that said, here's how you forgive, folks. Here it is. And, yep, you might have to do it 77 times, 70 times, and and the benefits will be just beyond comprehension. It really is. We had, we had supper together last night, and it was the most beautiful experience. And I, I got home, and it was like um, – you know how when you have one of those remarkable, you have like a moment of clarity and you you identify that it's no longer how it used to be and you're not even sure when it shifted or how it shifted or what happened, but how it used to be was for me to have dinner with my mother was, was quite an ordeal because I don't eat the way she eats and she would push me to try to eat and when she wanted me to eat what she eats. So it would sometimes be quite, you know, a challenge. And I mean, so you it might was want like, to interrupt that thought. You interrupt that interrupt thought, yeah. Yeah. And if you look at what you just said, and it might be worth going back and just listening to the show again, you might want to catch the subtle denial involved. As okay, you I missed it. What that. is it? Okay, so you, as you described what you called an ordeal, something moving right. and happening inside of you, was happening because of what mom did. Yes, okay, perfect. And my offering is, my offering is that the ordeal, whatever that means precisely, that sounds like a whole complex, another one of those gobs, whatever that ordeal was, was moving in you because it's in you, and mom was the trigger for it. When I speak about I'm having this ordeal because of what mom says or does, then I'm in denial. I'm thinking and speaking as though something outside of me 
is causing this inside of me. And when I okay, do I that, Okay, I want help with this one. Is, is there somebody uh, else waiting to call to talk on the on no, the switchboard? No, that you're on. You're on. We got all the time you need. We're okay, here good. to so, support you. So So I want to get I want to help with this cuz this has been it mean what I said means I have not gotten over it like I'm still making it be her thing in my head so well so um, we're describing the way it used to be yeah so you were saying when I used to have dinner with my mom so it may be something resolved but I was just pointing out for your sake and for the audience's sake especially if there's somebody new that really hasn't gotten the subtlety of how denial works so you were speaking in past tense so it may be something you have, have actually totally resolved already. But speaking in past tense, there was the denial of, you know, I had this ordeal because mom, blah, 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 blah. And just to, to be aware, catch your, watch your our language. You know, my, Shakespeare says, my words fly up, my thoughts remain below. If I keep watching my words, my words will tell me when I'm hiding something. And I'm hiding something when I say that out there cause this in here okay so, so that's what i want help with yeah. okay, okay so that it. out there caused this in here so so here's what right. used to happen that didn't happen last night and i was when i got home i was just i had this epiphany like wow not one time did she do blah 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 so what okay. she used to always do that i think is her not me still i have that still in my brain like i noticed I'm saying ordeal, no. but yet I was surprised that it didn't happen. Pleasantly surprised like right. an epiphany, but still it resonated with me when you said denial because I, I had this fear like I'm expecting it to go down, and I was surprised mm. it didn't. So how it would so be would be, you. okay. I would remind you. Go ahead. So how about, how about. I love it when I have dinner with my mom. Mhm. And she goes to every extreme possible to bring up the ordeal in me. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> there it is. There it is. That's the closing down of the energy field and the gift she gives you. So if you use that, you can artificially work through that one rather than having to create that circumstance again. And and then you could go have dinner with mom and mom could do all those behaviors and because the ordeal's no longer in you, you can just sit there and be love and have a delightful time with mom. And let And mom that be has gone. been happening a lot, but then I could really yeah. hear when you said that I was like, nah, it's not gone yet." Because, yeah, okay, good. Yeah, well, uh, that's the 77 times 70 times that Yeshua, you know, they're layers. Right, and, right. You know, you may be getting down to a genetic layer that maybe isn't even yours. And, and when we can access uh, uh, Listen, those, there's food issues on both sides all the way back, so it doesn't, it wouldn't surprise me if this is carbon-based memory major. I mean, we perfect. got the Karen Carpenter disease going on everywhere. So. Mm. I mean, I'm probably, you know, anyway, I don't want to say that. Um, I'm healing. I'm doing my healing work. Awesome. Well, we're here holding the space for it. And the the fact that you're doing your healing work is an awesome gift to us because you're refining your ability to ask the right questions. 
And with those questions, we all get to play with the answer. So thank you. That's awesome. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to get to work now. All right. Enjoy that mind shifter. I'm sure you'll have fun with it. (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Okay, Okay, bye-bye. By the way, for anybody that's new to the show, what is a mind shifter? A mind shifter is a tool that we use that allows you to kind of vicariously go through a situation without having to actually experience it. So what you do, you know, if that mind shifter is yours, you know, if you've you've got a similar situation going on with someone, the reason why you use such an insane thought as the one that I just gave to Tracy is that you can use that thought, and what you do is you take a page, a piece of paper, and split it down the middle, and on the left-hand side of the page, you write the thought, and then on the right-hand side of the page, you write everything that comes up in your mind in response to it. The, the human mind works by a law called the law of resonance, and the law of resonance simply stated goes like this. When two energy fields are in tune or in harmony with each other, there's an exchange of information before, between them. So if somebody comes along and resonates brain cells in me, then and those brain cells contain pain, here I am waiting for that person to come along and bring up my pain. Whereas I can short-circuit the whole process by choosing a thought that will act like the stimulus in a real situation to resonate that part of my mind. If I say, don't think about the color of your car, what resonates in brain cells? So when I take a thought like that, like, for instance, in, a, in our uh, Mind Shifters at Still Point Breathing Workshop, I, I always use the same example because it opens a space for people who have uh, money issues, which is most everybody. And, and the one I use is, I always earn twice as much as I can spend. And most people's response to that is, who are you trying to kid? Are you crazy? That's baloney. And then... You write the mind shifter again, I always earn twice as much as I can spend. But that's crazy. I've, I've never been able to pay my bills. In fact, they're threatening to take away my car. Are you breathing? No. Well, take a breath. Breathe and write the mind shifter again. I always earn twice as much as I can spend. But that's ridiculous. I can remember as a kid, you know, I, I mean, our family's never had enough money. We've always been in poverty. I always earn twice as much as I can spend. God, you know, that's so crazy that there was so much trauma in our lives. I can remember, God, I remember mom and dad and that big fight they had. And, you know, it was all over money. And dad walked out the door and I never saw him again. Bingo. Core issue resonated and brought to the surface with the opportunity to work through it by allowing or artificially setting up a a vibration that matches what you know you need to deal with and it unpacks or resonates or opens up that neuropeptide that contains that thought that when it strikes the cell generates so much pain. And when it opens up, you get a chance to bring love to it and change it. And now that the thought's changed, that pain is gone. You're freed from it. And that's how forgiveness works. So it opens a space for those things to move and be resolved within, not having to go out into the world and, you know, create the circumstance for it to happen. And 
if you don't do your work, you know, the purpose of the world, the, the, the way the creator set the world up, it seems, through resonance with this genius piece of information, resonance, and then everything we hold in us is an energy moving in us that sets up a field, that it's set up to kick you in the limitation. If there's a disease energy in you, if there's something that's creating a limitation on your ability to function as the presence of love and consciously create your life, life is going to, because of this resonance, deliver someone who's going to do a behavior that kind of acts like a mind shifter. But you can do it a whole lot easier to just recognize, okay, I'm going to use a mind shift to work through that one. I'm not going to wait for somebody to come along and kick me in that limitation again. Like, you know, I've had enough of that one. So it's a, it's a powerful, uh, wonderful thing to have some tools to short-circuit the process of healing and open up the space to really recognize who we are as love and, and function out of that. And we're down to the last minute or so, so I'm just going to invite you once again, if you're in the uh, Asheville, North Carolina area, we'll be at uh, Unity.